Hello, and welcome to Lit by Moonlight, where it's not a phase to get a group of teenagers to do the most dangerous job in the world. This week, we are talking about Six of Crows by Lee Bardugo. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Everyone like that. <laughs> Hi, I'm Caitlin, and I love making playlists, listening to them, and then going, oh my god, who put this painful song on here? And remembering it was me. <laughs> Retweet. That's yeah. hard. I feel I was listening to my uh, Six of Crows playlists last night mm-hmm. to get ready for this because every normal person has Six of Crows playlists. Oh yeah, I do. <laughs> and yeah, and um, I was like, damn, I can't believe I thought of that. Yeah, like innovative. Yeah, I was listening to my Ellie playlist that I made for The Last of Us while working today, and Graceland Two came uh. on by Phoebe Bridgers, and I'm like, oh my god this hurts why would you do this and i'm like oh it was me i'm Emberlyn, and i am a very silly girl so silly so speaking of birds <laughs> we're talking about six of crows today <laughs> yeah we are um except the crows in this book are not actual crows um but caitlin tell us more about the book tell us more about what we're about to talk about today give us a quick summary all right so across the sea from the kingdom of ravka where the sun summoner restored the lands off throne destroyed the fold of darkness that divided the continent and ended the reign of the darkling the port city of Ketterdam resides packed to the brim with gangs politicians and capitalists it is hard to make one's way from ruins to riches however kaz brecker of the crow club has managed he and his dregs have catapulted themselves to power in the gritty capital of Kerch, and he is about to face his most tedious challenge yet, the Fjordan Ice Court. So, Caitlin, Fjorda is another country in the Grishaverse that mm-hmm. has a completely different terrain and culture. Um, it's snowy, it's unforgiving, and it's led by the Druskala that consider the Grisha to be witches, the Druskal, rather. Um, and... This isn't the easiest group of people to deal with, obviously, <laughs> especially since we've spent so much of the trilogy that comes before this that Lieber Duga writes to set up this duology, learning about the Grisha and their magic and how like whimsical and interesting they are. Um, but Kaz gathers an unlikely grouping of characters to help him in his mission to abduct a prisoner of the ice court, Bo Yulbayar, who is responsible for the invention of a drug called Jirdaparam, that is able to weaken Grisha power. Caitlin, who are the members of this unlikely group? All right, so we have Inej, who is known as the Wraith, who is incredibly skilled acrobatically. We've got Jesper, who's a gambler and a sharpshooter who never misses a tell or a shot. We have Wylan, the Kirch merchant, Jan Van... I never know, is it Jan Van Eck or is it Jan Van Eck? Who cares? He's a piece of shit. Van Eck's son (laughs) (laughs) and an expert in chemical warfare. Nina, the Grisha heartrender and her unlikely love interest, Matthias, the Druskela prisoner. The group must band together to steal the Jurda and return it to the elder Van Eck in return for a cash prize that could cost them everything. So, Caitlin, what did you think about the world building in this book? Okay, so when I first started this book, it was literally the day after I finished Ruin and Rising, so I was kind of in for a shock, <laughs> um, like, world-wise, because it was completely different from uh, the Grisha trilogy, because one, you're in a whole different country, and two, you're with, like, it's like you're just, like, planted in the middle of a scene, um, mm-hmm. and because it's, like, the introduction of Jirda Parem, but, like, you don't really know what that is yet, um, and you get... Uh, this guy named Juiced, who's not even your main character. Um, 
pour one out for Juice and his mustache. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, There's like one second of fame in this book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the poor guy. Um, so I was like a little thrown off. And then the second uh, chapter, you're like thrown into the middle of like a standoff. And you're be- you meet all these people. You got like Inej and Jesper and Kaz and Big Bolliger and like a few other people. And... It's Inej's POV, so she's, like, climbing the rooftops, and you're, like, kind of, like, for me, I was, like, okay, where are we? What's going on? What are we doing? Who is this guy? <laughs> like, are we good? <laughs> I don't know what's going on, but I just remember being, like, okay, I just got to go with it, and then I guess maybe I'll gather information along yeah. the way. Um, so right. it was a little hard to get into, um, only because of how different it was from the trilogy and from how uh, soon after uh, Ruin and Rising that I uh, started it. I should have given myself more of a breather <laughs> for this. Um, but all that being said, I love Ketterdam as a setting. Uh, I love that it's the most dreary and dangerous place, but yet it's where all these people met and they kind of all become like a found family. And maybe it's because I've read the book five times and maybe it's because it's my favorite, but I consider Ketterdam like home when I think of Grishaverse. So I'm just, every time I open the book, I was like, yay, we're in Ketterdam. And it's like the worst place imaginable. (laughs) But I love it. Anything can happen in the Bronx. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But I'm just like, oh, but this is where all my favorite characters are. And they're all here and loving each other and cracking jokes. So this is where I want to (laughs) be. I think that's like really what draws you to this book it's really interesting because it's so different right than the trilogy shadow and bone uh siege and storm and ruin and rising because um ketterdam has something that i feel like a lot of fantasy settings don't necessarily have and that's grit Mm -hmm. um i feel like in a lot of fantasy novels the author is working overtime to make the setting intriguing in an extremely positive way yeah like, the intention is to make something that's easy to romanticize and something that's easy to escape into because it's more lovely or perfect or interesting or magical than reality. Like, Ravka, it's a super whimsical place, right? Yeah, um, lots of whimsy. Or, like, Sarah J. Maas. Yeah, lots of whimsy. <laughs> Sarah J. Maas has the fairy courts. Um, but there's nothing particularly whimsical about Ketterdam. It's kind of like a nasty, lawless place. And yet I think that's what makes it intriguing. I personally think that this story, that this duology has some of the very best world building I've seen in a fantasy series ever. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it pulls the magic in from Ravka in a way that's digestible. um, But it also retains this really unique gritty character about it that I feel like you don't get from a lot of fantasy books. Yeah. And then, like, there's just other things that I, I really found, like, really pulled me into this book that made me find it more interesting than a lot of the fantasy novels and novellas I've read recently. Like, in books with very large character ensembles, I typically have a really hard time keeping track of every person. Yeah. Like, sometimes <laughs> I lose track of who, and I, like, can't tell them apart. We talk a lot about that Adult Swim sketch, the Too Many Cooks sketch, where it's, yeah. like, they just keep introducing new characters, and you're just like, wait, who's this? Too Many Cooks. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I never had that issue in this book because every character is so incredibly unique. They have their very unique voices, very unique backgrounds, um and like ways of speaking right and like very complex backstories and depth to the extent that no one sounded like each other Mm -hmm. at all like 
in a way, they all sounded like Lee Bardugo to me, just knowing, mm. like, her personality, and I'll talk about that more later, but they all sounded unique enough within their own experiences and within their own chapters that I was like, oh, this person is, like, doing this. It was just really easy for me to keep up with and retain what was going on. Yeah. And then I feel like not only is it, like, a diverse cast of characters, but it's also, like, very diverse from other books. Like, oh, 100%. There's always, like, yeah. the magic one and the handsome one and the pretty one. There's always, like, a set of cookie-cutter tropes that we follow, mm-hmm. um, I feel like, in the fantasy world. And I feel like Lee took all those tropes to the next level and delivered substance that I haven't seen elsewhere when it yeah. comes to character building. Really enjoyed that. I have a lot to say, clearly, about the world building. <laughs> I have, like, should. eight bullets here. <laughs> yeah. But then the other thing I'll say, real quick, is I'm really used to books following the same narrative storyboard where it's like mm-hmm. there's some introduction of the characters and there's some introduction of the fantasy world and it's lore and there's like a malevolent force that's driving things and they have to defeat the malevolent force and there maybe like there's a romance and they beat it and yay! But like, <laughs> I feel like this book takes things to the next level by delivering not only this complex B plot about all of the main characters' trauma but also a larger sociopolitical plot where there are multiple stakeholders and interests driving the malevolent aspects of the book. Yeah. And also, a lot of lead-in for the recent duology and the future of Ravka, mm-hmm. um, which is like this establishing setting for her last series. But yeah, all around, I feel like this book just does a lot of things that no other books were doing at the time that it was released. And it really sets itself apart from, like, everything. Everything. Um, it really... I have a lot more to say. I have a lot more to say, but that's <laughs> just everything that come, came up last night when I was thinking through this. <laughs> well, it's funny that you mentioned, like, the books as a whole, because I was thinking about it, too, where, like, I didn't think about it this much when I first read the books, because I only read up until this point. But the fact that, like, right. Jurda Parem is introduced and it does kind of become a bigger thing later for like what you said, like the political aspects of the story of this world and some other characters yeah. and other books. It's, it, I like started laughing. So I'm just like, and the people who had to save it were these six outcasts from Canada with these children <laughs> that are involved. And uh, after you come off of like Alina's whole story and then you get more into Nikolai's story and that you just got like this like yeah. interlude with like these like six crazy kids and like, just you know yeah doing their best and uh improvising their way through literally like the most important thing in their entire world so yeah I feel like what I hear a lot one of the main criticisms I hear of this book is that it's really hard to imagine children doing some of these things well yeah and I get that like when I read the book I had to picture all of the all of the crows as being my age, as being in their mid-20s, mm-hmm. just for, like, realistic reasons. But also, I really kind of like the idea, and I don't know why, but I like the idea that this is such a complex sociopolitical situation. Like, the, the culture and the context of the place that the crows were all brought up in has made them these hardened criminals. And I don't yeah. think there's anything, even if they're not fully developed yet... As children, I think there's something kind of interesting about that. If I were a kid, I feel like if I was, as a 20-year-old reading these books, it's hard for me to wrap my head around. But if I were 16 or 17, the age of the crows reading these books, I might just find it really interesting and cool and not think a lot about the feasibility of it. Yeah. And I don't think it matters that much just because this is a fantasy book. But yeah, what do you think? Well, I, it's funny that you bring that up because reading it, I would 
always forget that they are teenagers <laughs> where I'm like oh yeah they're like yeah. 17 or whatever and which like sometimes it'd be like oh my god yeah like like with like Kaz who's like a 17 year old who hates the world and in the beginning you're like ah oh, come on dude but then you learn <laughs> and you gain knowledge yeah. online and you go uh, okay, no, I see that. Like, I'd probably, I'd probably do that too, mm-hmm. or I'd probably feel like this too. When you said like their backgrounds kind of make sense for why they act a certain way, like that's completely true. But then also at the same time, like even though they all had to grow up a little bit um, quicker than they probably normally would, they also have moments where mm-hmm. you remember that they are kids, <laughs> like with the jokes that are yeah. made and like the. I'll get my ghost to teach your ghost line with, like, all that. Like, it's just, like, it's also, like, they have, like, really silly, funny moments where you're, like, these stupid kids. I love them. Yeah. (laughs) But then, like, you read, like, these crazy things that they're doing and the things that they've gone through, and you're, like, oh, yeah, that would turn me into, like, a 40-year-old person real quick, you know? really Yeah, that might age me a little yeah, bit. That might just, age just me a little, a little bit. bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of my, like in the show. I I like that they're all I don't know I don't know if they've like established any of their ages in the show at all, but I like that they're all played by like people who are in their twenties and thirties because it like yeah. it helps it be more believable on screen when we're not just seeing yeah. like you know, thirty year olds play high schoolers. <laughs> in a high school yeah. setting I, I think it helps the exactly for sure yeah i think it would be challenging especially for like a younger actor to take on that role it's crazy though because like bella ramsey is like a great example they're like 18 when they start recording and like filming it as as um ellie in the last of us yeah yeah um and i can't even wrap my head around an 18 year old having to act out that kind of trauma so early on in their lives I know. Um, so I really, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Yeah. Like having a bunch of kids try to act out a lot of the things that happen in, in Six of Crows. God, no. <laughs> we'll leave yeah. that to Bella Ramsey. They can do it. <laughs> yeah. Bella Ramsey will actually be playing all of the crows now from now on. And Any the, traumatized show, child. Shadow and Bone. Bella's got it because <laughs> they're incredible. <laughs> all right. So was there a specific moment in Six of Crows that hooked you? I think when we first meet Inej, um, mm. I was really Knifeway. immediately captivated by the book. She is, she's magnificent. Um, the moment we started to read her perspective, I was fully, fully captivated by her character, fully in love with her. Mm-hmm. The way that Lee characterizes Inej's uh, mannerisms, it's like breathtaking. It's yeah. beautiful. Um Besides, she was the wraith. The only law that applied to her was gravity. And some days, she defied that, too. What a line. Love. Like, okay, <laughs> Alphaba. Um, amazing, amazing. Like, I can just picture this this very slim and small gymnast, like, catapulting from building to building. Mm-hmm. Like, Elastigirl. And it really, like... Lee did an amazing job, I feel like, of just showing me who Inej was right off the bat and making me right. love her. Yep. Um, I wanted to know more about her. I wanted to know how she became this very quiet, softly moving soul and how she was given the title of the Wraith. I wanted to know more about her dynamic with Kaz. And I, mm-hmm. I felt like fully drawn to her from the start. Inej, 
and her knives and Nej and her saints. My beautiful knife wife, Inej forever. Like that's my, that's my ode to Inej. I, I love, love that. her. <laughs> um, how about you? For me, because it did take me a minute to really understand like what was going on in the world. Like it, it's, it's hard for me to immediately start, even though these characters were intriguing, it was hard for me to immediately start like getting attached and getting really interested when I'm not sure where I am. Like I like to know where yeah, on yeah. the map I am. I like to get my bearings and then be like, okay. Okay, now we can Where am go. I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. What really was intriguing for me is when so we've we've already been introduced to Kaz. He's like this the most dangerous person in the barrel and he's got like this huge reputation um to uphold and he's the leader of the dregs. But he's scared of ghosts. Like in one of the first scenes when um he encounters a Grisha who has Durdaparam who can like go through walls because of this drug that they have and their powers. Um, and Kaz is like nervous. He's like, what, what's going on? Like no one can really sneak up on him, but like someone just did. And then he immediately says, right. I can't remember if he says just like a ghost. And then he says, Jordy. And then I was like, who's Jordy? Like, what's like, what's going <laughs> on? Like I, I, and I forget like when I reread how quickly he is mentioned. So, which is always like shocking to me. And I'm like, oh, so new readers get this immediately? Okay. I say as if I wasn't a new reader at one point, but like, <laughs> but I was like, oh my God, who, like, who is this? I kind of want to know more about why this like seemingly dangerous person is like frightened of ghosts of all things, you know, and believes yeah. in them even. So that was intriguing yeah. to me. I, um, I love it when characters have like, a little secret that you get hints at but a wee secret but you like you don't secret, get yeah. that unlocked until like 20 chapters in and then it you know devastates you <laughs> um which Lee <laughs> does really well she did it in ninth house as well with alex and her story i just remember but like you get like little snippets of it and then you get the full story and you go oh i need to lie down <laughs> It's, mm-hmm. it's horrible yeah. but i think what really really got me intrigued was once all of the crows were together we uh, by this point we've gotten chapters from everyone except for wyland and matthias and we just met wyland but like when matthias enters the chat <laughs> so to speak um i thought it was like r- really interesting because um he's an outsider's perspective like um, commenting on the people that he's just met and I feel like that helped me understand these people more because by that point like Matthias and the reader are kind of on the same page um, except the, yes. like you you do know these people already but like you get you're still like trying to figure them out and so is Matthias and um, I thought yes. like that was really cool also I was like super intrigued as to why um Nina was so hell-bent on getting him out of uh, Hellgate. Did not mean nah, to say I did not mean to say that, <laughs> but, but I appreciate it. Um, to get him out of Hellgate. <laughs> and, um, and so I'm like, oh, like, she loves him, clearly. And then th- when they reunite, she's like, Matthias, oh, it's you. And he, like, cups her face. <laughs> and he's like, Nina? Nina. And then he starts, like, choking her. And I was like, 
what is going on with this guy? Like, mm-hmm. like why why is he choking her? Why is she um, going after someone who would do this to her? Like, what like what's their story? Yeah. Like, I need to know. And I, I I remember listening to the audiobook on my way to work, and I got to that part, and I was like, what? I was like, what's going on? What what's, what's happening? Yeah. So like, Colin, I, sorry, I can't go to work. I can't. I was like, I'm gonna be a little Goodbye. late. I need to figure out where this is going and why they're even saving this guy who seems kind of like an asshole, <laughs> honestly. But, yeah. Um, so that was just like really intriguing to me and that kind of like from there the story just really ke- starts going because like that's when they start the ice court heist um, planning and then you meet Wylan and you get to meet everybody's roles and uh, it just really kicks off from there and it all like helped with the fact that um, Matthias was now in the picture and he was just confused <laughs> by everyone yeah and i thought it was really great just did not know yeah did not know what was going on mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a guy with no context yeah so caitlin mm-hmm. do you have any favorite quotes from this book i say knowing that <laughs> you could if you could drop the whole book right here right now and then just open it it would wait all be let me sh- let me show you something <laughs> hold on please do all right do i have any favorite quotes from six of crows this is what my book looks like. <laughs> so I I have a lot of favorite quotes and all of these tabs. And yes, it is color coded, but we can't be here all day. So um, I will share a few. One of the first ones comes from Inej uh, when she says, I like it when men beg, but this isn't the time for it. Like, no. Yes. And then... I really liked so this one this is one of, a lot of, a lot of my favorite quotes I feel like hit different on like a second reading when Kaz says well I'm the kind of bastard they only manufacture in the barrel I remember like upon first reading I'm like ooh badass line cool but then like when you know the whole story you're like oh because he was literally manufactured in the barrel in Ketterdam <laughs> Because if it weren't for his father dying and everything that happened with him and his brother, he never would have gone to Ketterdam and he never would have had to create this persona of Kaz Brecker, Dirty Hands. Um, so he was literally crafted in the barrel. So it just it just hits mm-hmm. different. <laughs> my next one is uh please my darling Inej treasure of my heart won't you do me the honor of acquiring me a new hat um to which I just say help (laughs) I remember reading that and I'm like is there something going on here (laughs) I'm like hmm I wonder what that's all about uh are they in love (laughs) are they gonna kiss no (laughs) um so and then just the way uh <laughs> I also love that Anej was just like looked at him, like looked at his cane, and she goes, "Have a long like walk down," and then she slides down the banister. <laughs> like she does not have time for him. Adorable, adorable. Um, on the same lines of Kaz and Anej, because if there's anything that I am, it is a simp for them. Um, mm, yeah, <laughs> I loved. I will have you without armor, Kaz Brecker. I will not have you at all, because she knows her worth. Uh, my last quote that I want to talk about is um, from it's in the middle of the ice court and of the ice court heist and they're all about to go their separate ways mm-hmm. and it's raining it's just her and Kaz together and um, they're basically saying goodbye and 
um there's a quote that says she reached up and touched his cheek she thought he might flinch again even knock her hand away in nearly two years of battling side by side with kaz this was the first time she had touched him skin to skin without barrier of gloves or coat or shirt sleeve she let her hand cup his cheek his skin was cool and damp from the rain he stayed still but she saw a tremor pass through him as if he were waging a war with himself and i love this because you already know like his whole backstory by this point and the fact that one he's getting skin to skin contact with someone is already so much but two just the added factor that yeah. it's raining is a lot and the fact that yeah. like he's fighting so hard with himself because he wants that possibly with an edge and he wants that normalcy but right he can't allow he also can't allow himself to have that because one he he like has this whole reputation and um also it's just difficult for him to even like handle any of that like like touching or Mm -hmm. whatever so the fact that he like in this moment that could have been their last like he was able to like fight with himself and like keep his cool um it was Mm -hmm. just a lot and i just remember like by this point i was already like so deep for them (laughs) so yes uh i was like i was like oh my god she touched his cheek and he didn't flinch away or you know run away or stop or (laughs) and also like he grabbed her hand at before this and i was just like so much is happening i hope they both survive (laughs) so they can grow together uh so those were some standouts for me how about you probably along the same lines everything you said retweeting (laughs) um there are just so many moments i feel like where we get we get insight into kaz's growth yeah away from his trauma and like the way that inej brings that out in him and like that is like everything it's just so powerful it's yeah ouchie ouchie um okay i guess on the same uh in the same bucket as those lines um this quote is from Inez's father. It's a, it's a line that she recalls him saying to her. Many mm. boys will bring you flowers, but someday you'll meet a boy who will learn your favorite flower, your favorite song, your favorite sweet, and even if he's too poor to give you any of them, it won't matter because he will have taken the time to know you as no one else does. Only that boy earns your heart. Ah, ah. Big sigh. I love when you can pull a quote and it easily feels like it would just fall into a poetry book and easily fit in there like it's absolute prose um and i love this quote just because it it not only shows us who inej is but who she was before her life in ketterdam yeah like someone loved her very dearly enough to saying enough to say that to her and and that causes us to empathize with her right away and I feel like it also is this great red herring for who Kaz becomes to her because Kaz is poor. Like, maybe <laughs> not only in, like, the sense that, you know, he's still making his way up the power struggle in Ketterdam, but also, like, he's poor in affection. Like, yep. he's, his, his reservoir for love has been emptied by his trauma with Jordy. So yeah. it's, like, so... And when you when you know how things go from here, like where this goes and, and where things go in Crooked Kingdom. Uh, it just, it really, it really just wiggles my wagon. Like so much happens, I feel like, that calls back to this line and it's really special. And then another one I had, and it was really the scene overall that did it for me, but I'll read you the line. Mm-hmm. 
So Kaz heard Wylan retching. He tossed the eyeball overboard and jammed his spit-soaked <laughs> handkerchief into the socket where Uman's eye had been. Then he grabbed Uman's jaw, his gloves leaving red smears on the enforcer's chin. His actions were smooth, precise, as if he were dealing cards at the crow club or picking an easy lock, but his rage felt hot and mad and unfamiliar. Something within him had torn loose. Again, um, the way this line <laughs> appears in the book gets me because yeah. it's so subtle. Lee just casually throws in there that Kaz rips out Uman's eyeball and you're like, what? Wait a minute. He did what? <laughs> like, whoa. Like, I, things, things went astray there for a moment. It's like what? he's taking out the trash. Um, but it's just with an eye. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fun. Like, the way it's framed is so funny to me mm-hmm. um, and horrifying. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I, I also like that in this set of lines, Lee fits in all these anecdotes about, like, who has is like we know yeah. now that he likes to deal his cards at the crow club we know now that he picks locks like all of these things just he she does such a good job with characterization like and that it was as easy as doing those things to him yeah, yeah. And, and whenever i hear someone say oh like i didn't really under- i feel like the characters in this book weren't fleshed out i'm like what are you talking about did like, you read the book did we read the same book <laughs> yeah it's so funny Hello. Um, <laughs> what? I'm uh, sorry, that's that's confusing to me. <laughs> yeah, but most importantly, um, the line I really want to talk about is something within him at Torn Loose. Um, yeah. Because what we're encountering here is this violent recognition of the love Kaz has for Inej and the fact that he would completely switch off to obliterate anything that stands in her way. She's yeah. that fucking special to him. And... He is inherently a very traumatized, violent person. So this is how he shows this. And I don't think that reads in a way that's like, I don't know. I think, I like that he's a morally gray character, but I don't think it reads such that, oh, he punches holes in my walls when he fight. He's aggressive, but he's hot and he hurts me, but he's hot. Like, it's not like that. It's not not giving like, Lana Del Rey, my man hurts (laughs) me. Like, not. it's not like that to me. I feel like... What's happening with Kaz's character and his dynamic with the Nedge is much more complex and nuanced than that. And I like that that's right. kind of what Lee gives us in this book. This is like completely off the record, but I love this scene also because it reminds me a lot of The Last of Us, like the scene we just watched in the season finale, <laughs> because it's like just a great example of how like when you love someone, you'd be willing to flip off to do anything you for them. Anything, um, yeah. So yeah, anyway, yeah. love that scene. Yeah. Wow. Mind-blowing. Oh, um, oh my gosh. Last one. I thought I had, I thought that was it. I had more. Yay, um, okay. The sun was out for once and Annette had turned oh. her face to it. Her eyes were shut. Her oil black lashes fanned over her cheeks. The harbor wind had lifted her dark hair and for a moment, Kaz was a boy again. Sure that there was magic in this world. Ah, uh, goosebumps. I just got goosebumps. This really gets me knowing Kaz's backstory because despite his inability to be fully vulnerable with Inej, I literally wrote their ship name instead of Inej here. That's so funny. Um, (laughs) There is power in loving someone so deeply that it briefly eradicates the trauma you've experienced. That's all I got to say about that. I just, oh my gosh. (laughs) I have a lot of things to say about that, but they're not coherent. It's more just like a lot of crying and screaming. Ah! 
and like, um, twitching, screaming. Yeah. yeah, and as of recording, we're recording this the day before season two comes out, um, so we haven't oh seen gosh, it yet. Yes. But I am just prepared for any scene involving them to completely obliterate me. <laughs> so, what song would you listen to while sneaking into the ice court? Ah, okay, so last year. <laughs> I made character study playlists for all of the crows. As you should. Um, when I was like really deep in it. Um, so I have different songs for each character. Uh, so for Kaz, it's Skyfall by Adele. Um, Good the way that's, it just starts with this great like, duh, on the violin. Oh my God, real. Um, for Inej, it's Working With The Knife by Mitski. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's giving, it's giving knife wife. It's um, giving knife wife. <laughs> for nina it's born to die by lana del rey um which like i don't know real quick question on that do you ever just when you're like living your life caitlin do Mm -hmm. you ever and you need to go someplace but you're kind of in pain i ever just like feet don't fail me now because i say that all the time like and i've been saying that since this was released in the 2012 in the 20 early 2020s literally I, i think this song has popped up in my head multiple times with all of the issues I've had <laughs> physically <laughs> this past couple of years. I'm just, every time I yeah. get up, feet don't fail don't me Don't fail me now. Take me to the finish line. Yeah. 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 Real. Um, Real. For Matthias, it's uh, What the Water Gave Me by Florence and the Machine. Ooh. Um, for Wyland, it's Homemade Dynamite by Lord. Nice. And for Jesper, it's The Less I Know the Better by Tame and Paula. So well done. I had well a really done. good time. I really recommend re- go and, going and listening to those because I was listening to them last night and I was like, wow, this is actually like really good organizing of like sound, sound, or- like uh, music ordering. I don't know what that, there's a professional name for it, but I was like, damn, girl. Um, like my resume. Being a uh, music supervisor. <laughs> I'm really good music supervising in Berlin for yeah, no, for job. no, absolutely from the makeup, the, the made up show the, that I am doing curing, this for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was yours? So mine's pretty basic. And if you're a big fan of Six of Crows, like you already know the song, it's kind of their theme song. And it's at the very top of my own Six of Crows playlist that I made uh, after reading the book for the first time because I was very in it and it did in fact take over my life for a long time um but i said trouble by valerie broussard um because it's literally their theme song like if you're listening you already know it if you don't know it just look at the lyrics and it's them there's it's i feel like i don't know it oh my god i'm gonna look at the lyrics i'll let me find the lyrics for you yeah oh no okay i remember this yep 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 yep. you've showed me this song before we wear red so they don't see us bleed. Hundred dollar bills under our sleep. We yeah. tend not to sleep till we're dead. Drink our problems right out of our heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I mean, right off the bat, it's them. And then um, I like the uh, in one of the verses it says, "I'm that knife in your boot, girl. I got ya." And then I'm your number two man in a fight. Oh. We're revolutionaries tonight. Like it's just, it's just them. <laughs> it's the mm-hmm. most like I'm. I'd be shocked. Uh, to find out that Valerie Broussard didn't make this uh, directly after reading Six Crows. So. <laughs> because it, it's them. Real. It's them. So I feel like everyone knows that that's their theme song. And I've seen many an edit to it. And they're all lovely. And you're all doing great work. Speaking of people we find lovely, mm-hmm. uh, which character from Six of Crows uh, would you shed all of your armor for? All of them. <laughs> 
Uh, it's always hard because it's like there's the question like who's your favorite crow and I'm like don't make me choose <laughs> I don't want to choose that yeah because, like I don't want to not say this person because I like them for this reason but um but my gut instinct is Inej because um mm-hmm. I I love her so much I I what I really like about her is that um I, th- I thought it was interesting to have a character who's so, like, faithful and so, like, religious, but in a way that isn't, like, you know, apparat religious, like, usually. Oh, yeah. Like, I hate it when, um, when, like, you have characters who use their religion for their own purposes and to get your way and kind of lord that over other people, and it's just, like, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> stop it, but um mm-hmm. Inej is just like her faith is so important to her like she has her saints that she prays mm-hmm. to all the time but like and it's for like it's a way to keep like her moral compass and also to just like um find refuge in that when she needs it um and strength right. when she needs it so I I thought it was really interesting like seeing her have that and never lose that too um yeah so that was really nice to see in a fantasy um novel and um also just i just want to protect her but she doesn't need any protecting <laughs> but um right. she's someone who like oh i wish none of these bad things happened to you but um i just really admire her strength and despite everything she's gone through she doesn't allow that to stop her from living and she also like like i said earlier knows her worth like she loves Kaz, but she's never gonna like wait around for him you know like she's yes. got stuff to do yeah if he's not gonna put the work in then why should she you know so exactly that's yeah. why i admire she knows her worth she yeah. does she does and that's why i love that line um uh i'll have you without armor i won't have you at all because she's like i she's like i'm working on myself i have my issues your turn mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yes so oh my gosh yes yeah i just i love her and then i also mentioned jesper because not only is he just great and wonderful and funny, but he's also he falls under the category of characters who um, there's something deeper going on in there. Mm. But like they have the facade of like, I'm the funny guy, you know? Yeah. And um, also just the fact that like he's very flawed, like he has like he has his gambling addi- addiction and um, that is the reason for why Inej got hurt and um Mm -hmm. but they don't let that go and like there's a lot more that you learn about jesper in crooked kingdom and um other things that come up and then even like his uh relationship with kaz i feel like is so interesting to me because and maybe i'll get into that later or maybe when we eventually do crooked kingdom i'll talk more about that but i just with him specifically the dynamics with him with each crow was really interesting to me because every everything is so different and that's why i feel like this book is so strong because it has such a strong ensemble cast but you get like all of these different pairings throughout like it's not just the couples who are out together Mm -hmm. it's um like you get you know jesper and inej or nina and inej or kaz and wyland and it's just like really interesting to see all of the different personalities bounce off each other and how they all kind of like um not change themselves per se but like let like jesper's more himself with nina because nina's more on his level but then like he jokes around with Kaz, but there's a limit it's just it's just really interesting to see all those dynamics um 
come together and um i just every time he's on the page he makes me laugh and he makes me smile and it takes a bit in the story i feel like to get to his point of view i feel like it's like not to like chapter seven or eight that you get him but once he shows up you're like yay i like this guy that's my guy (laughs) yeah and he's good at what he does and then when you oh and then when you find out why it's just it's he's so interesting to me the best it's crazy because i feel like that's the other thing I like about this group of characters is not only does Lee do a good job of like really ref- like intricately spelling out their individual like character types, she also does a great job of connecting them all to each other. Yes. Like they each have very like defined friendships mm-hmm, and they're mm-hmm. all very unique relationships that they share with each other, which is yeah. like, that's like a lot of work for someone to do. Because there's um, not so like... it's very cool that she knows how to do that. Yeah, because there's not like a pairing where it's like, you have like a huge group of friends but maybe there's one person you don't really talk to regularly <laughs> or like know how to talk to like if you were left in the in a room to get alone in a room together with this person you wouldn't know what to do that doesn't happen with the six mm. of them like they could mm-hmm. all like have a conversation and be able to get along and you know not have the awkwardness together <laughs> so i think yes it's, it's really well done uh what was Real. who's your favorite character that you would shed all of your armor for I would have to say Nina Zenick. Yeah. Um, I love Nina so much. Um, she's like my person. She's my <laughs> comfort character. Uh, just talking about her makes me want to curl up and reread all of her chapters in Six of Crows. Yeah. She's like fearless and flirty and saucy and beautiful and badass. And I want to be her when I grow up. I just... I love her so yep. much. Um, Matthias describes her as overwhelming at one point in the book, mm-hmm. and that's what I love about her. Um, more overwhelming women in books, please. Yeah. And more fat women in books, please. Yeah. And more Nina in books, please. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> Just have more her pop Nina, up. <laughs> generally. Truly. And like, fortunately, we do get more Nina. Um, down the line and I think it's really awesome to see where her story goes I really love reading her and I'm so glad there's like so much of her in my life so yeah big fan of her Mm -hmm. um is there a character that you would poison with Jirda Param Caitlin uh yeah Pekka Rollins (laughs) uh real kind of an easy one for me uh he's kind of the worst Kind of the worst. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, like, I know these people exist, and because there are a lot of really bad people in the world, but the fact that this man, like, looked at two children and was just like, yeah, I'm going to take all of your money. Okay, bye. And mm-hmm. then, like, <laughs> the the way, like, of course he wouldn't, but the way he doesn't even, like, recognize Kaz, and of course Kaz changes his name, but, like, just the fact that like that shows how much he doesn't care but like his action has such a huge impact on Kaz's life to the fact that like yeah his life was completely turned upside down and he had to become a whole different person and he got his childhood taken away all because of this man's actions and the this man that ruined him doesn't even know who he is and it's just the more I think about it the more I realized how I'm not ready to see his backstory visualized yeah because again this is before we even watch season two of Shadow and Bone. And I, I know I know it's mm-hmm. coming. I know they're going to do it. Yeah. And I'm not ready. And I am no offense to the actor playing him, but I'm ready to hate him with my whole being. <laughs> you know? 
real yeah so yeah yeah it, he bleh, he's the worst he's he's terrible and he's barely in the book but he has such a huge presence in it despite it because of yeah. what he did and not a big fan <laughs> not a big not a huge fan Weirdly of that enough. guy that did that awful thing to kaz brecker yeah, yeah not yeah. not amazing what about you um, i'm really excited to talk about uh the portrayal of this part of the book yeah. in the show and i think scared um it's going to be really great for us to chat about that when we do our weekly reviews of season two of shadow and bone yeah yeah i this was more complicated for me because i i wouldn't poison him because i love him and mm-hmm. i think he's like a super underrated character in the book but for like most of the book i wanted to fight matthias that's fair like <laughs> His vendetta against the Grisha and especially Nina is so misguided that I found it almost unforgivable mm. despite how sheltered he was as a Druskal. Because mm-hmm. I feel like there's definitely a point where your personal autonomy as you get older outweighs your ignorance. Yeah. And despite his childhood trauma, I was just like, there were so many times when he would say something to Nina and I'd just be like, oh my God, get help. <laughs> get help. Like I'm over um, you. Yeah. Yeah, but I also think that's what makes him such an interesting character. Like, he's very ignorant to, like, who the Grisha are and, like, what they at least represent in in Ravkin culture. Mm -hmm. And I think he is at least able to change in meaningful and extreme ways that make him, like, a very unique and complicated and interesting character. Yeah. But it doesn't mean it didn't frustrate me. Yeah. <laughs> Especially since, like, you spend the whole Grisha trilogy with the Grisha as your protagonist and your main, like, plot. Like, play- yeah. So you don't have that bias against him. And then for this, like, for Nina to be such a beloved character to you already. And then Matthias comes in and is yeah. just like, I hate everything of what you are. It's like, yeah, get help. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, you want to go? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And he's like, no. yes, yeah. let's go. <laughs> Moving on to our peaks and valleys of this book, what was your first peak? Jumping back to the world building for a little bit, yeah. I feel like the ice core scheme is like super captivating. Mm-hmm. Like the clock and the prison and like the ball that's going on and yeah. like the Fjordan culture, it's all so interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, Lee does an incredible job of building something that seems impossible, but is also fully understandable. There are circumstances, I feel like, in a lot of YA fantasy where a challenge is created by an author that is, like, so complex that there are, again, like, too many cooks in the kitchen. It's really kind of hard to, like... Like, the math's not math, and it's really hard to figure out, like, what the actual problem is and, like, what needs to be done to get to, you know, to get through the problem and save the day. And sometimes because of that, there are plot holes and things that kind of fall apart in post mm-hmm. um, and, and, and like during publishing. But I didn't find it particularly hard to keep track of what is interesting. And I feel like because of the organization of this book by parts and then by characters and then by bells during the ice court scene really yeah. makes it easy for me to follow and stay immersed. Yeah. So I really like that about the book. Um, I feel like... If it weren't for some of those, first of all, I love putting things in boxes. Like yeah. <laughs> I love 
that's why I like playlists. Like I gotta like be able to say, okay, this is this is a bottle, and it goes with all the other <laughs> things that look like bottles. Yeah, Good, yeah, yeah, you know. So the fact that Lee does that in this book is like really. I really like that. Yeah. Uh, how about you? What's your first peak? Again, I've already touched on this and like maybe it's weird to say it's the peak because of how horrible it is, but <laughs> I, did this, <laughs> I did this for Ruin and Rising too and I was like, I know it was really horrible, but when Nikolai almost died, it was great. <laughs> um, but on the same token for this, uh, Kaz's backstory was one of the most vivid and traumatizing things I've ever read and I wasn't expecting it at all so like obviously throughout the book you're getting like these hints as to like you don't know why he wears the gloves and you don't know who Jordy is and he like kind of has like almost what seems like a, like a claustrophobic like panic attack when he opens up the wagon mm. and he sees like when they're trying to sneak into the ice court as if they're prisoners themselves but they're all like packed tightly and he wasn't right. prepared for that and you're like what's going on yeah. and then Lee's like I'll tell you what's going on grab your tissues <laughs> and to like learn everything that happened to him and his brother of like not only did they get sick and did Jordy die from the fever but the fact that Kaz woke up on a barge full of dead bodies at age nine and mm. one of them was his brother and it's been so it's been enough time for the body to start like the decomposition and what makes it worse is that like he had to survive and he like had that fight within him and there's no one around to hear him scream and yell and um so he had to use his own brother's body to swim across as the skin was Mm -hmm. like the the imagery of the skin peeling off underneath his hands stays with me to this day and i it just it's horrible to even think about so I can't imagine, like, mm-hmm. if this were, like, a real person for them to go through that, how that must be like. Yeah. And um, uh, Lee, who hurt you? Are you okay? <laughs> because I don't know where that came from, but it was horrible. It really just puts into perspective, like, how troubled and how traumatized he is and how, like, deep this trauma goes because of his touch aversion Mm -hmm. and it was really just heartbreaking all around but what really stuck out to me was there's this quote that says when the fever reached full fire Kaz dreamed he had returned to the farm and when he knocked on the door he saw dream Jordy and dream Kaz already there sitting at the kitchen table they peered at him through the window but they wouldn't let him in so he wandered through the meadow afraid to lie down in the tall grass and this really gets me because of like symbolism of it all and so it's it's clear to me that like by this point Jordy has already passed on so like Mm -hmm. that's dream Jordy and he he's gone and like it's like the house is like you know whatever comes next and um yeah Jordy's already there he's already dead but Kaz is also in the room um but we know that Kaz Mm -hmm. lives but Kaz Wrightville doesn't live like he essentially died with his brother and I feel like that Kaz right. in the dream like dream Kaz was who he was for the first nine of years of his life like he's no longer here he's dead and gone and that was like Kaz yeah. like seeing that part of his life leave him and now he has to go off alone and become this other person and this is when he becomes Kaz Brecker and then eventually Dirty Hands 
because after the stream he wakes up and Jordy's gone and that's when he has to like you know make the terrible swim across to the shore and um become a new person and it's just it really hit me <laughs> when I first read it like I was crying I'm like this poor child has to yeah do all of this and also the fact that like there was a conceptualization of part of him dying with his brother it was so mm-hmm. it it just it it's just so heartbreaking but but so well done and mm. um in a way where I, I had to put the book down for a little bit and be like okay no more fun heist time we're just gonna sit here with the <laughs> drama and the emotions of us all and i was like oh my god i can't i can't believe this is what happened to this character and this explains him so much and like moving forward i started looking at kaz completely differently because he wasn't just closed off to the world to like be all cool and sinister it was he's closed off to the world because it's what's protecting him and like it's a way of protecting himself and even if it's, it's not necessarily what he really wants deep down it's what he has to do because this is how you survive the barrel this is how you survive ketterdam um and yeah it was just heartbreaking but it was one of the best uh written stories i had read in a long time so um despite the heartbreak kudos to lee bartuko it's funny because one of my peaks was going to be originally this book is so fun to read but then i was like but did i have fun but did, was there, i mean we <laughs> had fun hurt? but it hurt too didn't i have pain as well wasn't there yeah. pain Did, didn't i feel unbelievable sadness had some parts in this book which is like oh like what a backstory it's it's again like so unique to this book like I can't really I can't really like remedy what happens to Kaz with anything else I've ever read like yeah where the backstory of that main character is typically supposed to be like very hard to swallow it's just wow yeah, ouchie. And like once again, it gives him depth towards like, oh, he's not a morally gray character just because he's an asshole who doesn't know how to love. It's he has good reason for it, and it just I don't know. It just changes your entire perspective on Kaz, I think. And it was just really well done. I think my second peak about this book is that when I read it, I hear Lee Bardugo. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know how to explain it other than I feel like. She puts so much of her authentic self into this book. Like, the humor that she has comes through here. Her edginess. Because, like, if SJM, if Sarah J. Maas is is the queen of fairy smut, then she, <laughs> Lee, is the queen of edginess, in my opinion. Like, <laughs> I feel like Kaz's backstory is, like, a great fucking example of yeah, that. Yeah. But um, I really, really feel like when I read this book, I'm getting someone's magnum opus and a representation of their true self like i'm reading i'm reading lee like lee she writes this really great badass disabled character in this book which i very much appreciate in Mm -hmm. part because lee carries a very badass kaz frecker style cane in real life yeah and in part because disabled people are fucking cool and we should all Mm -hmm. be featured in prominent literature okay but like (laughs) i also just feel like I like when an author can put so much of their personality into the work that it feels authentic. It feels, 
it feels it feels like I'm not just getting a book. I'm getting I'm getting them. I'm yeah. getting a representation of who they are. You know. Yeah. In the sense that when like an influencer, this is a weird weird comparison, but like an influencer posts, I, I go through their little their little uh, photo dump and I get an idea of who they are. Mm-hmm. I feel like this book gives me a really great idea of who she is, and I really like that. That was my second peak. What about you? Well, on a completely different note, <laughs> um, my my second peak was when Anej gets injured on their way to the schooner, and um, Kaz carries her and like runs back with her mm. in his arms. That was my Kanej awakening. <laughs> uh, up until this point, I was like, "There's something, something's happening," but I wasn't completely connecting to the dots. And when this happened, it, right. it 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 tickled the part of me that like really, really loves like, oh no, the person I care about most in this world is injured, uh, and I'm worried yeah. about them, and I'm afraid, and I need to do everything I can to help them, and um. It was, I was just like, ooh, he only cares for her, like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so I really, really enjoyed that. There's a quote that says, she closed her eyes and he, Kaz goes, keep talking, Wraith. Don't slip away from me. And then she says, but it's what I do best. And he clutched her tighter mm. when she says that. It's like, oh. Mouse moment. No, yeah. And what else I liked about the scene is so, like, he's carrying her and he's running with her in his arms. And, of course, he has a busted knee, so his leg is bad and Mm -hmm. he uses the cane to walk and everything. He comments on it that his, like, leg is bothering him so much because of her weight. And But then Jesper steps in and he goes, let me help you with her. And he's like, no. (laughs) Like, he refuses to let anybody, like, touch an edge or, or, like, help him in any way. And, like, despite the pain, like, he's still going to, like, hold her because he needs... Like, I think that reassurance that she's still here, but also the fact that, like, he's so protective of her, he doesn't want anybody else, like, touching her or, like, her leaving his sight. And then, like, he lingers in the doorway when Nina starts to, like, help try and, like, heal Inej. And, like, Nina has to, like, yell at him, like, you're making me nervous, you need to leave if you want her to live, basically. And so that's what gets him. And then he goes up to Uman and, like, carves his eye out hello and not just cause it he takes his hand and like he plugs it like a new flower (laughs) in springtime you know (laughs) like and it it, without flexible oh i love it when people get so like it's like what we were talking about earlier like there's so much love that it pushes people to these like lengths like you see how far they go and like what they'll do for the people that they love and that's what kaz would do and uh yeah this guy totally deserved it so like i don't feel so bad (laughs) saying that it was a fun time watching him uh do that to him uh but when kaz says to the guy kaz leaned in so no one else could hear him when he said my wraith would counsel mercy but thanks to you she's not here to plead your case and without another word he tipped uman into the sea iconic yeah Yeah. claps all around everyone liked that (laughs) like I just I really enjoyed it and like from that moment on I was just like so excited to see like how that relationship might develop um if he would open up at all like if there's going to be other moments mm-hmm. and it was great yeah Thanks. I remember when um at the very end of the book when uh Inez is taken and uh things kind of end there I just remember being excited not because Inez was taken mm-hmm. 
but because I was like, oh boy, what's Kazan going to do in the next book to get her back? Exactly. Like, I was like really excited. <laughs> exactly. Especially since it ends when he's just like, I'm going to get my money and I'm going to get my girl. It's just like, yeah, you are. Get you, my know, girl. you know he's going to do anything to get her back. And it's just, ugh. Yeah. And then seeing that all unf- unfold in Crooked Kingdom is so great and so rewarding. So, yeah. It is. It's it great. is. Again, literally goosebumps. Yeah. yeah. What was your valley? Um, I feel like I didn't have many valleys with this book because it's definitely one of my favorites. Um, I guess I the only thing I keep coming back to, like, a year or so after reading is like the representation in this book like I praise this book because there are a lot of people that can pick it up and see themselves in it (laughs) um which is like the bare fucking minimum you can ask for from a book to like be seen (laughs) in it um but I also I find myself like over and over again and this was the case for the next duology after this too coming back to like the African Asian and Eastern European diaspora mm-hmm. reimagined in this book and even though unintentional I wonder if the way it's the way those things are are reimagined the way that those cultures are rethought um, I wonder if that rethinking has some culturally insensitive ramifications. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is more of a question than a statement because yeah. I don't know. Like I have very minimal personal experience with cultural appropriation. It's super right. limited. But also knowing that this is like a valid criticism that I've heard from readers, mm-hmm. I would be remiss if I didn't mention it because it does kind of like leave a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, no, and I think this is like an ongoing conversation that's like really important Mm -hmm. because um it's something that we're also starting to see reemerge with the show um especially with like um russian folks that have kind of said hey like this is this isn't like this is kind of interesting (laughs) at the very least (laughs) the way that you're interpreting ravka and like perpetuating a lot of stereotypes about russian people yeah so i would be really interested i've seen like some commentary i've read a lot about it but i would be really interested to see like some like a larger conversation about this and like i know that lee has done some research into like uh eastern european culture when she made this book but like we got to be super intentional at point we're adapting other cultures for research purposes so and for like fictional purposes so I think about that like I think about this a lot because it's like and it, it's like I love this book series but I definitely feel like this is probably the weak spot for me like and there's a part of me that wonders how essential some of the adaptations of these things were if they're not even like if they're if they're potentially misrepresenting cultures so mm. that's just that's the only thing that really sticks out to me that I can think of I don't think th- I don't think there's anything else. I'm like trying to I'm like trying to think if I had any no, I feel like I really otherwise like really enjoyed this series. Yeah. Um I mean and, that's all, those are all good questions uh, to have because that's not it's not really something I thought about. So it's kinda good to, you know, have that in your head and be like, wait a minute <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Um, how about you? Did you have any any valleys for this book? No. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it could just be my bias is showing but this is my favorite book reading it like like content wise like I loved it all the way around I thought like 
despite having six main characters, none of them felt like a weakness, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like with a lot of books, especially when they have, like, bigger casts, it's just like, oh, yeah, and then there's that guy. But, like, eh, we don't see him for a bit. Or, like, eh, I don't really like it when yeah. we get to this part, point of view. I just felt like, like, because even in, like, some later books by Lee Bardugo, there's some chapters where he gets to a, a POV, and I'm like, I don't care about this person. Like, I don't care. Like, yeah. why are we here <laughs> just to suffer? Yeah. Um, But with this yeah. one, I would always be like, ooh, it's Nina. Ooh, it's Jesper. Ooh, we're getting an edge yeah. like i would always get so excited like every time and like um i just feel like that was really well done um having uh such a good ensemble cast and for every single one of them to be strong um yeah and it was just such a good story this is the only besides crooked kingdom uh this is the only book i've read uh more than twice and that would be four or five times now uh, and I just find every time I read it, I still find things that like either surprise me or they hit different or just the fact that I wanted to read a book more than twice <laughs> was enough. So, uh, yeah, no valleys, no valleys from my end. I love I love when a book is like something that you can pick up over again. What I'm excited about for this book, because I would probably be going on to my second reread. Mm hmm in the next couple of months here. I, I think what I really am excited for is that even though we're talking about it right now, there's not a lot that I remember. Like, yeah. in fact, I might even hold off so I forget all of this again. Yeah. Because um, it's one of those things where I can probably go back in like, I don't know, 5, 10, 20 years and I can reread it like I've never, you know, thought about it before and not really remember mm-hmm. any of it particularly well and still really enjoy it. Yeah. That's kind of why I'm really excited for I'm excited and nervous for season two of Shadow and Bone because it's not a direct adaption, but you still get these characters and like I know they're going to be pulling more stuff from these books for the Crows character, so it'll be like its own like new little story, which I which is why I liked their um their involvement in season one because it was like ooh like a prequel, (laughs) you know. Um, Yes. So it's getting prequel. Yeah, and then you got to see Nina and Matthias's story uh, played out. So um, yes. I'm really excited to see what they do. Um, I'm excited to talk about it here um, and just to get some more Crows content. Caitlin, on a scale of one to five times that Kaz withheld information from the other Crows because he's a sneaky little guy, mm-hmm. uh, how do you rate Six of Crows? Uh, 10 out of 10, 5 out of 5, 100 out of 100, keyboard smashing all <laughs> the numbers out of 5. Favorite book, favorite book, favorite book, favorite book. Um, would be so shocked would be completely would be floored if you were like two yeah actually (laughs) two out of five i've been hyping this book up (laughs) but i didn't like it (laughs) uh what did you rate it uh i gave it a five out of five i genuinely enjoyed this book it's my favorite of all Mm -hmm. of lee's and i feel like i just i just want to give it a big hug I'm going to go find my copy after this episode. Yeah. I'm going to give it a big old hug and a kiss for being an awesome book. That's going to do it for us for this episode. Thank you for listening to Live by Moonlight. Tune in next time when we review Netflix series Shadow and Bone season two. Um, Right now. We're so excited. Right now it's not been released, but it will be out. And we'll be telling you everything Mm -hmm. we think about it. So. Yeah, and if you love the Grishaverse, we uh, reviewed all three of the Grisha trilogy with Shadow and Bone, Siege and Storm, Ruin and Rising just recently. So um, go listen to that if you want.
I can't tell you what to do. But I would love for you to join us. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Bye.